Some of you may have seen the sermon title already. And throughout the week, I, I've, I've told people the sermon title, How to Be Rich. And I was afraid to actually put that out there anywhere because we might just fill the place and, and with people wanting to know how to be rich. And it's interesting when we say something like that, it's something that grabs people's attention because there's this desire to, to be rich. There's this desire to even just pay our bills and overcome some of the stresses and financial pressures that we have. Online I was looking and, and found some um, get ways to get rich quick. Thought I'd share those to start. Um, this person, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but you can understand why people try some of these things. First thing he says is stock speculation. Take all the money you have and invest it in, in questionable stocks and see what happens. And then he later goes, well, that doesn't work. You end up losing most of your money. Buy a property and flip it. Eh, that's tempting. I've thought about that before. The challenge is when the real estate market's declining, you end up upside down on a mortgage and you've fixed up a house and you lose money on it. Not a good way to get rich quick. So then he moves to maybe some more aggressive approaches. Insider trading. <laughs> Find out some information about a company, trade the stocks, get rich. We know that, that <laughs> that's illegal. <laughs> You'll wind up in jail. Don't, these are not suggestions, by the way. These are just... You can see why he, go, he lists three more. Gambling. Because the odds are, well, no, they're not in your favor. <laughs> tax return. Hey, we can list, we can make up tax deductions. We can justify expenses. Cheat on our tax returns. Again, that's wrong and that's sin. So he finally concludes with, well, maybe you can win the lottery. <laughs> then he goes into the odds of that happening and it's like, no, no, no. But it's interesting that we're, we, we gravitate towards some of these get-rich-quick schemes because we think money is the solution to our problems. So many times, especially in, in Western society, money is this ideal that if we have more, things will be great. Things will be great. But I want to point out that I titled the message How to Be Rich, Not How to Get Rich. We talked about that three or four weeks ago when we looked at Paul's instructions about the love of money and a desire for money and, and watching out for that. And so the question isn't how we get rich, but how, how are we to be rich? It, rich in what kinds of things? What is real wealth? But also, what should we do with what God has blessed us with? How do we handle the riches that God has already given us? When we think, and, and it's interesting to look at some of the stats in the world, when we look at the, the distribution of wealth in the world, the United States is the highest, or North America is the high, has the highest distribution of wealth per person than anywhere else in the world. And I don't share some of these facts to make us guilty and say, oh no, we shouldn't be that way. But there's a responsibility that comes with that. When we think of even the poverty rate in America, for a single person, the poverty rate right now is 11,700. For a family of four, it's 23,400. And, and, and minimum wage in California alone would be 16,000. And so we're dealing with these numbers of poverty levels that are far more than our basic needs. In fact, it's estimated that if someone is living at the poverty level in America, they're in the richest 17% of the world. That's at poverty level. 
5.3 times that that the average person makes. That's challenging for us. Some of the stats that came out, and we're talking about this as we're about to talk about the persecuted church, as we're about to talk about people that, are, that have almost nothing. It's estimated that one billion people live on less than a dollar a day. Forty percent of the population in the world live on less than two dollars a day. Think about that. Those are staggering statistics. And those, so those statistics are, are already adjusted for cost of living and for dollars versus whatever other currency the people are using. The problem is, so many of us here are just struggling to pay our bills this month. Right? There's pressures of, okay, how am I going to handle what I have? One, one father was looking through the budget and his wife had done the budget the, the day before and said, you need to go make more money. And he said, well, let me work on the budget. And he came back and said, well, I've worked on it and I need a little bit of help. I figured out what we'll need for food, clothing, and shelter. And we have a choice of any two. <laughs> ever, ever feel that way when it comes to the end of the month? And so how do we talk about money in the richest country in the world, when, when so many times we're struggling, we're in a recession, the economy is tanked. But what is God's perspective then of wealth? What is God's perspective of what He has given us? And we come to the end of 1 Timothy, and it's interesting because Paul comes back to the issue of money. For the fourth or fifth time in Timothy, actually. You're probably tired of me talking about money. We're just going through Timothy. And he comes back to it, and, and I think he, he's just done this doxology that we looked at last week, and I think he's coming back to just a couple of closing notes to Timothy. And right before that, he had just talked about the love of money is the root of all evil, right? And he came down pretty hard on contentment versus desiring more, and, and that we need to be satisfied in our Lord and Savior and what He has given. And I think, I, I can just picture Paul writing this a little bit of conjecture, I can picture him writing and he's about to finish the book and he has some closing, closing thoughts to Timothy and he comes back to money and says, you know, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. It's not that money is the root of all evil and we talked about that. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. So let's talk about those with money and that's where we come today is what do you, he, he's talking to the rich. Those that have money beyond food, shelter, and clothing. Anything beyond those three things is really a, a type of discretionary income, isn't it? Where we're choosing between things that are beyond our basic needs. And so, Paul comes back to these things and says, I don't want you to get the wrong idea that those people should be vilified. Rather, God has intentionally chosen them to be stewards, to be conduits of His blessing. And so Paul in this passage today gives us a whole different way of looking at wealth. A way that hopefully is not new to you this morning, but a good reminder as we study 1 Timothy chapter 6. Would you turn there with me? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 21, the final paragraphs of 1 Timothy. And really they, the paragraphs not only deal with money, but also spiritual stewardship. How do we steward God's material wealth to us? How do we steward God's spiritual wealth to us? But Paul starts with the material side, with the financial side. How do we steward God's resources 
materially. We're to be responsible to manage them, to use them. How do we do that? We start with verse 17. And 17, 18, and 19 are really broken down into two halves. He's going to start with two instructions of things to watch out for, two dangers, and dealing more with the attitude about money, about wealth. And then he'll go to two different things about what we should do with wealth and our actions. And so he's dealing with attitudes and actions here. And the first thing we see in verse 17 is we're to be humble about what God has given rather than, than arrogant. Be humble about what God has given you rather than arrogant. We read, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. And that's the first command there. Charge them not to be haughty. And he's dealing with the rich, those that have more than the basic necessities. Those that have, have in Ephesus, we know that there were some very rich that were profiting from the sale of some of the religious items, that were profiting from the trade from the coastline. Remember the pictures as we studied through the seven churches? Ephesus was the one that had the great port, but it's no longer there. Now it's a mile away because the silt from the river filled it all in. But you can picture water there and ships and all that stuff. And so it was a port city and had some very wealthy people. And so Paul addresses those that are rich. And this morning as we study this, my prayer is that we all take this advice to heart. As people that have been really blessed, no matter our circumstances, to see what does God intend for us. And the first thing he says is charge them not to be haughty, to be arrogant. The word there is a combination of words that means to think highly about yourself, to elevate yourself. And so Paul is saying, warning here, that when you have wealth, when you have riches, when you have a lot of anything, even if we go beyond money, the tendency is to feel a little good about ourselves, right? Think a little highly of ourselves. And Paul is saying, first things first, don't let that happen if God has blessed you. Rather be humble. Not with an arrogant, false pride. Not with high thoughts of self. And it's easy to be, be proud when we're successful in the world's view. And what can easily happen is we start to look down on people that are lower than us in the social economic ladder. Because so many times we're geared to hierarchy, right? At work we know who the boss is, we know who the people under us are. In fact, this is one of the reasons why, why workplaces don't give out salary figures. Because people get very upset that the hierarchy that they thought was there is messed up. Or why is that person making more than me? And so money somehow builds this hierarchy because we want to feel good about ourselves. We want to think well of ourselves. And it's easy to look down on those that are lower in the economic ladder. What do you think? What's the first thing that you look for? Maybe this isn't true of everybody. What's the first thing you think and look for when you walk into somebody's house for the first time? You look around, right? Do you ever catch yourself thinking, well, how could they afford that? I wonder, wow, this is a nice house. I can... And they're thinking the same thing about our house when they walk in. I mean, it's, it's like we, we, we look at other people and we're, we're trying to, to figure out where we fit on the scale. We don't just do this on money. We compare jobs. It's easy to look down on someone that maybe doesn't have you know, the same career job we have. Hasn't had the same promotions. 
We do the same thing with knowledge, spiritual knowledge especially. You know, I understand this passage so much better than anyone else. And so, you know, they're, they're the little people. They're lower, but, but I'll, I'll impart my knowledge to them. And, and, and it's a little bit in jest, but don't we catch ourselves doing that? Where we think of ourselves as more mature than others spiritually or, or wanting certain things. We must be careful to not let pride step in when God has blessed us. Whether it be money, whether it be items, whether it be knowledge. See, the wealth and the feelings from that wealth are intoxicating. And they can make us drunk with how it feels. And God here, right from the start, says, Timothy, tell the rich not to be haughty. Not to think high thoughts of themselves. It's interesting, the first part of that verse helps give us a clue on how we do this. As for the rich in this present age. And Paul here just just subtly gets his point across. He does a marvelous job of this. When he says, in this present age, what is he reinforcing? This is all temporary. You can be rich now and you can be destitute in eternity if we're not rich in the right way, if we're not wealthy in the right way. And so right from the start, he says, in this present age, it's temporary, it's fleeting. So we we need to develop a, a heavenly view of wealth rather than a worldly view. A heavenly view views this as temporary and the eternal ramifications of what we do as permanent, as valuable, as real wealth. And yes, you can be wealthy in this age and wealthy in the future age. You can be poor in this age and wealthy in eternity because of the principles Paul shares here, what we do with what is given, God, God has given us. So the world's view of wealth is get it any way you can, hold it any way you can, enjoy it any way you want. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And show it off wherever you can. And that is the culture that is pounding in on us. And God says, no. See, wealth is temporary. This isn't what it's about. It's not the final investment. And part of this is realizing that our temporary wealth is a gift of God. It is a gift of God. Because pride says, look what I have done. Look what I have amassed. It's interesting. You look at the stories of, of millionaires, and most of the stories, they, they, they're accidental millionaires, I call them. They, they made choices that maybe an investment they were surprised about. There was a story this week in the news of a man that was able to buy a house in Europe and has all this money because he accidentally invested in a, a new thing called bitcoins and put it aside, forgot all about it, and he went back and found out his bitcoin investment, a, 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 a tiny amount, was worth a quarter of a million dollars. Can he take credit for that? He had no idea that investment would go there. It, it, he's an accidental rich man. And pride says, look what I have done. It's King Nebuchadnezzar on the, on, on the palace saying, look at the kingdom I have created. And what did God do to him? No, no, no. Let, let's humble him. Let's bring him low and realize I have given him. In Deuteronomy 8, 11 to 14, we read, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I commanded you today. 
lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live with them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This isn't a new problem. Children of Israel, God says, when you're blessed with all these things, your heart will be lifted up, which is the, the word for pride. You'll become proud of yourself. Look what I have done. And you will forget the Lord your God. We saw the same thing in Laodicea, didn't we? The people said, I am rich. I have everything I need. I don't need anything. And God said, I will spit you out of my mouth. You're neither hot nor cold because you don't need me. You are destitute. And so to those, whenever we have anything, whenever we have any possessions, we need to be on guard to be humble. To realize God blessed us with these things. It's gratitude and seeing a need for God is is how we combat this. Every day, looking at what we have and saying, God, you gave this to me, thank you. Some of you have, have started, a couple of you have started every day in November because it's Thanksgiving month, of saying something you're thankful for. I encourage that if we're to, to combat pride and if we're to combat high thinking of, of the wealth that we have or the, the blessings we have, to follow that. And what if every one of us, every day this month, thanked God in some way, whether we write it at home or put it on the fridge or, or put it on Facebook, however you want to do it, we took that challenge and said, every day for the month of November, I am going to make sure I am grateful for something God has given me. And it's just a few words, but what we're doing is retraining our thinking. We're allowing God to transform our minds. Because when we're grateful for something, we're acknowledging, I didn't do this, I appreciate someone else who did this. So I challenge you, out of today, it's one of the steps of of being rich in God's economy is to be grateful for God. No humble brag. You know what I mean by humble brag? Humble brag is like, you know, I, I really had a hard day. You know, pray for me because I had to, to move all the money around in my accounts. <laughs> or I'd like to help you, but, you know, I, I just, I have so many people I'm helping. <laughs> humble brags. We're trying to look humble, but bragging about it, that, those are signs of, of pride. In reality, it should be, what has God given me? How has he blessed me? Paul goes on and gives another warning. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, but then nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The second point is we're to deliberately trust in the security of God, not the insecurity of money. Deliberately or intentionally trust in the security of God, not the security of money. Because it's a false security. When Paul writes, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, the word for hope is confidence or a confident belief that this will happen. And so to, so to set your hope on riches is to say, because my savings account is this big, because my retirement is this big, I know that my future is secure. Ever done that? Absolutely we do that. What can happen with retirement funds? What has happened in the last five years? In a moment, that can be gone. 
with anything we have. In a moment, it can be gone. Stocks can fall. Natural disasters can happen. Jobs can be lost. Riches provide no security. Wealth provides no security. And so we need to keep reminding ourselves of that. Riches fail. Remind yourself of the uncertainty of riches. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. What's he saying? Riches don't last. They're insecure. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Deliberately trust in the security of God, not the insecurity of wealth. The challenge is, is we, it's so easy. It's so easy to trust in, in our savings account or our emergency fund. And, and, and those things are wise to have. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't plan for the future and that we shouldn't have a retirement. But the issue isn't whether we have it or not, but whether we trust in it or not. So how do we know that? One, one question might be, what would bother you more? If you went through this week without spending any significant time in prayer, or if at the end of the week you lost 50% of your investments, what would bother you more? Because prayer is an act of trust in God. It's an act in coming under Him and saying, you are the provider, you maintain. But so, I would bet many of us, if we were honest, would say, you know, the, I'd be distraught if I lost 50% of my investments or 90% of my investments. But if we're trusting in God more than wealth, we'll be distraught if we're not in prayer. If we're not in communion with the Lord at Most High. Because He's not surprised by any of it. Where is our trust? Paul goes on, but trust in God who richly provides. And that's the key, is God richly provides. Everything is His. He is the source of all things. He gives us what we need. He gives us any blessings. And we're just stewards of that. We're just managers of what He has given us. Now, if He's the one providing, what does that do to our worry level when we don't think it's enough? We, we find ourselves questioning God at times, but it helps eliminate the worry because we trust that the provider of all things, the owner of all things, can handle our situation. Psalm 50, verses 10-12 through 12 says, For every beast of the forest is mine. And God is talking here. The cattle on a thousand hills... I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. We have a God that provides incredibly. Trust Him. Go to Him when there's problems. Seek His wisdom. Because He is the owner of all things. In Luke 12, you can look that up sometime this week, but it's the the parable of the rich man who who brought all his plenty in and put it in barns. And he's like, ah, life is good. In fact, so much came in that he built new barns. 
built larger ones. And he says, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God richly provides. Trust Him. Finally, enjoy what He has given in His way. That verse goes on to say, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Riches are not condemned here. But if God has given blessings, enjoy them because He has given them to His children. But enjoy them in the right way. Paul's already talked about not being self-indulgent. And he's going to talk about how we enjoy them by using them for God's kingdom. God supplies everything. His purpose is to benefit. But there's an expectation that we will then model that to others. Money is a gift to be enjoyed from God. But then we'll see in the next verses it's also a responsibility to be used for God. So be humble about what God has given you. One of the ways to do that is by being grateful. Deliberately trust in the security of God, not in the insecurity of money. And then we move on to verse 18, and he, he goes to the, the proactive state. Okay, this is how you use money. And he gives two actions to use wealth for our provider. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now some of you are reading that and saying, that's four things. You must be tired. But we're going to break them into two set, two groups of two because the first two really go together. One is an expansion of the other. And then the second two is connected by an and as well. And those two go together. And so really he gives two things here. The first of which, use what God has given you to do God's work. Use what God has given you to do God's work. And we see the commands there to do good, to be rich in good works. There's a little bit of a play on words there because Paul starts by saying to do good and, and he uses a word that's used of God's blessings to people. And then in case they don't get it, he, he comes back and says to be rich in good works. And he uses the same word for rich as those that are rich materially. And so he's using this idea of having material wealth and using it for good works. Using it for the kingdom of God. Literally to do what benefits others. And so Paul is saying, be humble. Trust God as your provider. And if you are humble, and if you trust God as your provider, then you are free to use what God has given you for His kingdom. And so use it. We've seen a number of instructions on money. We've seen Paul say, you should support your own family with your money. You should help needy widows with the money. You should support the church with your money. In Acts, we see you should help believers in need with your money. And all of that goes to we should use whatever resources God has given us for the kingdom. God blesses so that we can be a blessing. To open doors for our generosity. One author wrote, money is a bad master, but a good servant. It's a great way of looking at it. It's a tool. How will we use the tool of what God has given us for the kingdom? 
Some use it poorly. Warren Buffett, the world's second richest man, in 2006 said that he would donate 85% of his $44 billion fortune to five charitable foundations. Sounds good, right? We go to motives. Why is he doing it? He commented on it and said, there's more, one, more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a great way. And so he was using it not to do God's work, but to buy himself into heaven. To buy himself an eternal future. Not rich in eternity. Destitute in eternity. Paul says, be rich in good works. Because true wealth comes in what we do and how we use what God has given us, not in how much we have. Use what God has given you to do God's work. Then number four, the rest of that verse, be generous and ready to share. Look for generosity opportunities. Look for generosity opportunities. Paul is saying be generous. Be liberal with your money. Be bountiful in what you give others. Share with others. This means going beyond the minimums. Sometimes we, we, we find ourselves wanting to help others. We're like, hey, how much? What, what's the least amount they need? We don't say that. I know. We, we say, what do they need? And, and then that's what we give. But, but Paul is saying here, no, be generous. It means going above and beyond the needs. Overflowing. And he combines that with being ready to share or willing to share. A generous, unselfish heart is what combats greed, selfishness, and stinginess. And the willing to share is a, a rich word. We've talked about it. It comes from koinonia, which means fellowship or sharing. And so Paul is appealing to the community of believers. He's, re, he's appealing to the, the sharing amongst believers and saying, we're a family. We're a family. Be generous with each other. Be looking for opportunities. When I think of willing to share or anxious to share, I think of someone that's looking for ways to, be, to bless others, not avoiding them. Because there's a mutual care and concern. I like the illustration John Piper uses. He says, be conduits, not cul-de-sacs of God's blessings. Be conduits, not cul-de-sacs. What happens when you drive into a cul-de-sac? It ends. Woohoo! God has blessed me. And I, I, I just enjoy all this stuff. But God is saying, no, we're to be generous. We're to be conduits. We're to funnel that to other people. We are to be generous because our God is generous. Because His character is generous. Think of some of the examples of God. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God didn't just give us enough grace to get by. He lavishes on it, it on us. Pours it on us. Philippians 4.19, when, when we're talking about contentment and how to be content, and it says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So God has said, I want my children to be like me. I want my children to take on my character. And that means being generous. Looking for opportunities to help each other. 
looking for ways to use whatever God has given us, great and small, as a tool for the kingdom. John Calvin wrote, A man's opportunities to do good to others increase with the abundance of his riches. How do we do that? How do we start to build a culture of generosity in our lives, in our families, in our church? And I'd encourage you to start small. Not not that we shouldn't be lavish, but it's okay to be generous with small things. Even if we don't have much, even if we're just scraping by, we can look for someone and bless people by, by providing just small gifts to them. Because for us and our financial standing, that might be a huge gift. That might be lavish because we don't have millions of dollars. But everyone in this room can start to be generous to each other and look for ways to bless each other. Small gifts. As we hear of larger needs, and if we're able, then meeting those needs. It's walking out today and say, who does God want me to conduit his blessings to? What needs does he want me to meet? Now, there's a balance to all this. This doesn't mean we just throw all our money away because we have those other passages of what we should take care of. And we have passages in Proverbs and the passage on the widows that that show wisdom in how we help and, and helping those that are truly in need. And it's against that backdrop that Paul says this. We're not going to cover all that again this morning. But don't use that as an excuse to not be a generous people. We can be generous people in our own homes. If your child asks you for something, give them double. It's a simple little thing that starts to, to build generosity. You know, if it's appropriate. <laughs> All the kids are like, I'm going to ask for $20. No, no, that goes back to the wisdom. But what if my, my son once says, Dad, would you come out and play catch with me for an hour? So I go out and spend two hours with them. Things like that. Start to think through, how can I be a generous person? Because it it means, and, and what this passage is saying is, hold our wealth like this, because it's not our wealth. It's God's wealth. We are stewards of that. Hold it with an open hand and say, God, use it however you want. However you want. And so we have four commands to help us steward material blessings. One of the authors wrote some questions that I thought were very pertinent for, for assessing where I'm at with money. And am I rich in an eternal sense or trying to be rich in a material sense? What concerns me more, how much money I have or how much of me God has? Do I pray more about God supplying material items than I do about developing my character? Do I spend more time and money caring for my house and lawn than I do helping others? Am I confident about the future because my bank account is healthy or because my spirit is secure in Christ? Those are challenging questions. My prayer for us is that we are a generous people who are conduits of God's blessing and looking for ways to serve God. 
In the last two verses, we see what is really a very brief conclusion because Paul has tried to conclude a couple times here, I think. And he says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. And we see Paul summarizing the theme of the whole book. Guard the deposit entrusted with you. Like when you put a sum in the bank and expect interest on it, that's the imagery here of, Timothy, you've been entrusted with the gospel. You've entrusted, been entrusted with the task of sharing the gospel. Guard it. Don't let falsehood come into it, but also guard it in the way a bank does and make sure there's re- dividends from it, a result from it, a return. Guard the deposit entrusted with you. The way we do that is to make His purpose our focus. To make the Gospel, living for Christ, standing for His Word, the focus of everything we do. And that's the the next phrase Paul here says to Timothy, be careful of getting off focus. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradiction of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. And the, the, the tense there is actually, grace be with you all. Because Paul intended this to be teaching for the whole church. We're stewards. To not be proud. To not trust in what, what we have for security, but to trust in God. But then to use whatever we have for God's work and to be generous and reflect God's character as we do so. That is how every one of us can be rich. Rich in eternal things. Rich in the kingdom. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, our God, You have blessed us with so much. You have given us so much. But nothing in stuff compares to what You have given us spiritually. Eternal life. Because You paid the penalty for our sins. The sacrifice for our sins. And so, Lord, we remember that we are stewards of that gospel. That you ask us to minister for that gospel, to strive for that gospel, to fight the good fight. Lord, help this morning as we remember, as we take communion, to be another time of commitment to being stewards for you. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name.